the digitally native generation that is coming up has been so exposed and has been able to scratch beneath so many surfaces so that they have really savvy authenticity detectors from the get-go. So they can suss you out. So you can have the right image. Your company can be saying all the right things. And they'll be like, you know what? We're not buying it. So really, you know, the way to connect with consumers today, the way to connect with your audience today is to not pretend that you're perfect and to actually show your humanity. This is the Ideas Lab podcast, where you can learn from great creative and entrepreneurial minds how to turn your ideas into original businesses, books, and brands. Because in a crowded world, it pays to stand out. This is your host, John Williams, best-selling author and founder of the Ideas Lab London. Jitendra Sedev is author of the New York Times bestseller, The Kim Kardashian Principle why shameless sales, and how to do it right. I love this book, even though I'm no Kim Kardashian fan. But Jitendra makes a really good case that marketing has changed completely and big brands are struggling to keep up. Now, vulnerability is the new sexy. Authenticity matters. And flaunting your flaws is probably the best thing you can possibly do for your personal or business brand. If you know you need to make yourself more visible in the world or you're trying to break through in a crowded space and you're nervous about showing yourself, you don't know what's going to work. This will be an inspiring and very entertaining episode of the podcast. Thank you, Jitenda, very much for joining us on the Ideas Lab podcast. Thank you so much for having me, John. Uh, Where are you at the moment? Are you in the States? I am in La La Land. Oh, yeah. That sounds like fun. Now, you're originally from Bristol, aren't you? Is that right? I am, yes. I was born and raised in Bristol. Mm. Um, I did my first degree in Bristol, and then um, and then I left for the US. Right. I, I, w- I think my Bristol friends will probably say you don't have much of a Bristol accent, but then I don't have much of a Birmingham accent, which is where I'm from. Ah, uh, see, I wouldn't have been able to guess that. You know what? I, I have never had a Bristol accent. You know, I don't think everybody in Bristol does have a Bristol <laughs> accent, but but we can definitely sort of um, identify, you know, it's a real sort of Southwesterner accent with yeah. the good old R's, but there we have it. That's right. Have you been to Bristol? Yes, I have. Yeah. My assistant is from uh, the Southwest, uh, a bit further out. Ah. So. Okay. But Kim Kardashian Principle is the name of your book. And I really liked it. I shared, I took a picture of it um, when I was uh, first started reading it when it, when it came out or, or a year or two ago. And um, I shared it on social media and somebody uh, did like a sad emoji underneath <laughs> because they <laughs> thought the idea that you would want to in any way be inspired by Kim Kardashian is just tragic. So, can you defend this? What is the Kim? You, why, why Kim Kardashian, first of all, is uh, why is she a role model for um, marketing and branding today? But, you know, I think Kim Kardashian is a new world leader and a cultural force to be reckoned with. You know, she has really um, shown everybody how to use social media, how to make money out of social media and, and how to really, um, you know, work to live. Is that the right way around? 
No, right. to, how to, you know, how to live, um, no, that is know, live around, to yeah. work. No, no, no. I meant, I meant, no, no, no. I actually meant live to work oh. because, you know, she has essentially, you know, commoditized her life and her passions and, you know, and her daily being. And younger generations in particular find that really appealing. You know, they don't necessarily want to put their passions on a hold, work all day, and then only sort of have fun when they're playing. They actually want to take their passions, whether it's computer gaming or, um, sorry, video gaming, that made that made me sound really old, video gaming <laughs> or, um, you know, or beauty tutorials or whatever it may be and, you know, live in the moment and make money off their true passion. So I think in that way she is, you know, she's a real cultural force. No, I, don't, I can understand that. I mean, what's interesting about then there wasn't, this just made me think because we were talking before we started about uh, my book, Screw Work, Let's Play. It kind of makes you realise that, Gary Vaynerchuk has very famously said you can make a living out of anything, but it's not trivial to do that. I mean, if you, you I see you've got, you've got something like 180,000 followers or something on Instagram. It's quite hard work to get to that point, isn't it? I mean, it's not trivial to make a living doing what you love. If what you love is really, you know, if you really want to monetize like your entire personality and, and something like makeup tutorials, a lot of people try and fail, don't they? Yeah, you're absolutely right, John. I mean, it's enormously difficult to, um, you know, make money out of your creative passions and not take the easy route out by, you know, working for a bank or or working for a law firm or whatever it may be. Um, so I do think that people who are actually brave enough and fearless enough to um, pursue that and to actually know what they really want in their lives um, – do need to be celebrated and we do need to see the positive sides of them. So it's sort of interesting that that gent who put a sad, a sad emoji <laughs> next to the cover of my book probably is wanting to, you know, define how people want to live their lives within certain parameters or how they should live their lives. And I think what's really exciting about new world leaders, about new types of people emerging that we're like, hold on, how, how did that happen? How did this person get there? It's actually they're showing us something different. They're saying, guess what? You can do this too, and you can be this too. And, you know, and, and options are good. And that's, yeah, there's an important point there because a lot of us, what I know is particularly beginning entrepreneurs, are really scared of being visible. So they, I noticed they use this phrase of putting myself out there of going out and saying, this is what I'm doing now. This is my new business, my new line of work, and doing a bit of self-promotion. And you've said vulnerability is the new, sex, uh, the new sexy. And you've, you've talked in your, you've got these six principles which add up to the acronym SELFIE, very cleverly. And one of them is to expose, to be willing to be overexposed, if anything. But I mean, that's... Uh, that's a scary thing for people. It doesn't naturally, doesn't, I don't think it fits British people very well, does it? You know, I think that, you know, a lot of the, the six principles of the book, you know, the six tenets of the Kim Kardashian principle, as you mentioned, the acronym is SELFIE, um, are tenets that um, really resonate with human truth. So I don't think it's a British thing versus an American thing versus an Australian thing. You know, I think ultimately the reason why people have resonated with these tenants. The reason why people have resonated with the book is because I think 
Um, it touches people around the world um, and it's based on these universal truths. But you're absolutely right. You know, a lot of universal truths require you to be brave and fearless and first and foremost, face your own truth. You know, be brave enough to say, you know, what is it that I want to build? What is it that I want to create? What sort of organization do I really want to spend my time, you know, building? Um, and making a success. That's step number one. And then step number two is actually having the courage to go, I'm going to go after it. Um, and I'm, and I'm going to try and make something of it. And I think that, uh, you know, once you've done, once you're done with those two, you're sort of halfway there. Mm. But to your point um, that you made earlier about, you know, entrepreneurs, you know, not wanting to promote themselves, not, you know, feeling sort of a little hesitant to get out there, tell people what they're doing. It does come down to the fact that a lot of times we're so concerned about our perception. We're so concerned about projecting an image of perfection that, you know, we don't want to go out. We don't want to tell somebody, oh, guess what? We're actually doing this and actually end up finding out that it doesn't work out. But today, that's okay, because until you get out there, until you try things, until you see whether they work or whether they don't work, this sounds like the last rule of selfie, the E for execute, you're not going to know whether it's going to work or not. And the other reason why it's also okay is today there is more forgiveness in the marketplace than ever before. So, you know, you get the biggest celebrities who are doing all sorts of different brand extensions and sort of, you know, creating these new products and they're not working out and that's okay because there's a dynamic there's a dynamic nature to the way the world is working today so people try things if they don't work out they move on to the next you don't remember the kardashian credit card do you no that's right but it, that didn't work out i guess yeah and you don't remember cosmopolitan yogurt Yep, Cosmopolitan, as in the magazine. Mm. You don't remember their yogurt. And I think that's really the trick today. You know, it's about being brave enough to know what you want to do, going out, doing it, seeing if it works, and then you deciding how much effort you want to put behind it. And you you actually suggested that in the process of doing that, you don't hide your flaws. Yeah, you must. I mean, today... The brands, the people, the organizations that are most resonating, especially with millennials and Generation Z, the younger generations, are the brands and people and images and ideas that are vulnerable, that are human, and that are accessible. And what we're finding today is that this sort of the digitally native generation that is coming up has been so exposed and has been able to scratch beneath so many surfaces so that they have really savvy authenticity detectors from the get-go. So they can suss you out. So you can have the right image. You can Your company can be saying all the right things. And they'll be like, you know what? We're not buying it. So really, you know, the way to connect with consumers today, the way to connect with your audience today is to not pretend that you're perfect and to actually show your humanity. Yeah. And what's an example then of somebody who shared a flaw and it's actually helped them? Okay, well, a good example, um, let me let me start on the reverse side. So a good example of a brand that was refusing to show their flaws, a big brand that everyone's heard of is Victoria's Secret. So about five years ago, I was speaking to the media and I, you know, and I said that, look, you know, Victoria's Secret is going to, is in real danger of losing relevance. I gave an interview to Business Insider because it was refusing to project anything but 
a contrived image of perfection with the Victoria's Secret Angels, without embracing the body diversity movement, without showing any level of vulnerability and humanity in the images that they were projecting. And as a result, I mean, in, in last year, 2019, the parent company lost over 50% of its value, so near 60% of its value. And then you see a brand like Lane Bryant, which, were, which is a lingerie brand, also a, clo- a clothing brand that was launched, which was quite the opposite. The models they used were um, in many ways perfect because of their imperfections, because they were embracing their uniqueness, you know, and that was a brand that really communicated vulnerability. And also it's a takedown culture, so you've got to be straight up. Their tagline was, I'm no angel, directly attacking the Victoria's Secret angels. So I think that that's that's a really good sort of higher level example of how, you know, you're projecting something that's real versus projecting something that's artificial, but supposedly perfect. And that that's a really interesting example about Victoria's Secret, and you've obviously got a good knack for predicting these things. And and you're, you've the subtitle of your book is "Why Shameless Sells and How to Do It Right." What do you mean by shameless in that sense? Is is it about sharing your flaws? What does that really mean? You know, to me, the way that I the way that I've sort of defined um, being shameless in the book is in a very positive, freeing open-minded, liberating way. It's about being fearless. It's about being unapologetic. It is about going after what you want. It's about focusing on what you believe and what you want to create, regardless of the blowback, regardless of what other people's perceptions are going to be of you or your idea. You know, and I, it's really interesting, um, you know, you hear so many people, especially in LA, who sort of go, well, people told me that they're, you know, there weren't any opportunities of me because I was this old or I was this race or I was this gender. And those sorts of people are real rule breakers. They prove other people wrong. So you just never know if your idea is going to be about that. So really, if you have a strong enough passion, you owe it to yourself to follow it and to be shameless in your pursuit of it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you even say at one point, <laughs> you actually say narcissism is good or something like that? Well, I mean, narcissism has a negative connotation. What I, when I refer to narcissism in a positive way, what I say is that there has to be a level of strong self-belief, self-love, self-conviction um, to get us through these enormous obstacles and this enormous amount of judgment yeah, so that's it. Actually, this made me think of something because I think one of the ways I pull my punches in my branding is that I have this very kind of English um, uh, of uh, uh, phrasing everything with quite in the word, uh, quite in front as a modifier. And and I believe that when I wrote my first book in the first draft, in fact, I wrote things like, you know, I believe that this, that, and the other. And my agent who was reading it, uh, Jack, she helped me and she said, like, you've got to cut that out. Like, I believe, or it's probably, or it seems that you've got to have certainty because otherwise, why would somebody take you seriously? But I mean, that's quite a challenging thing, particularly for people at the beginning of this journey of being more public. Um, but you're, you're saying that basically you do need to have some certainty about and some self-belief in what you're saying. Otherwise, it's not going to work. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, today, the 
the environment is so competitive that if you're not going to believe in yourself, then no one is really going to believe in you. And um, and what is most important is that you have that self-belief regardless of whether somebody believes in you or not. So, um, you know, I, I'm a big believer in that. You know, you're living in the moment, you're living in the present, you have this one life to make the most of. And, um, and you have to, um, you know, you have to take it by the reins. Yeah. And in, when it comes to things like, you know, you've built a large following on Instagram and obviously all the influencers have massive followings. A lot of us, including me, seem to get stuck at somewhere around, you know, sub 1000 followers and never, never go beyond that. Now, of course you've been on, you know, TV all over America and have a, uh, a New York Times bestseller, which and all that kind of stuff helps a lot. But is there some key for those of us who are, particularly those of us who are not that young anymore, dabbling on Instagram and not getting any results? What are we missing? Is there some magic formula to suddenly get us 100,000 followers? <laughs> you know, I don't think it is about the number of followers. I think it is about the level of influence you have. So I don't think the focus should be on that number per se. Um, you know, I think that once you look at social media and you look at the type of platforms that you want to be on, I think firstly, you have to work out, you know, I mean, not every business needs to be, needs to have a social media presence. So I think social media then becomes an integral part of your overall marketing strategy, your overall sort of sales strategy, and and then you work out where it fits within that. Um but you know, I think that there is a focus. There is a focus now away from number of followers to actually real impact, and I think we're going to see a lot more of that in 2020. We're already seeing that in 2019, where you get these nano influencers, these micro influencers, and organizations are going to be targeting those people with 500, a thousand, three thousand followers that have a real sort of that have you know a real say amongst. Um, um, whoever they're speaking to. Yeah, and it kind of reminds me of, uh, it's a fairly old story now, I think, but there was the woman who had something like a million followers and she got a, thousands of T-shirts made with her name or her brand on it and she managed to sell about three of them. So it just goes to show that if you can't even sell a T-shirt, uh, a million followers doesn't really mean very much. No, I think social media is an ongoing, I mean, now the platform very much where you're seeing the most growth on is TikTok. Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, for all the entrepreneurs out there who are starting a business, yes, Instagram, but also look at, you know, if you're looking to build an audience, the right sort of audience, if you're especially looking at, you know, youth audiences, TikTok is definitely where people are seeing a lot of traction and a lot of growth. Yeah, because the you've just many... got to get your dance moves right. <laughs> are, you, are you on it? You're using it. <laughs> I, I do actually have an account on TikTok, but that's one of the to do things to jump into full-time yeah, um, this year. I've met people who've built up something like 50,000 followers relatively quickly. I mean, it's not a trivial thing, but even then. It, does it come down to what I'm noticing um, in my own brain is the people who post a lot, and I inhabit Facebook the most, the people who post the most on Facebook, where I am, uh, are at the top of my mind. So I do think it comes down to, you know, you talk about uh, being overexposed. Does it come down to quantity over quality? Gary Vaynerchuk is always talking about putting out, you know, 
six to 20 pieces of content on Instagram a day. It, it, I, I appreciate your point. It's not just about numbers, but is quantity a major factor in, in getting noticed? I think there is definitely a quantity play in the content game, only because in order to just get in the game, there has to be a certain level of saturation. There has to be a certain level of content. Also, consumers are incredibly hungry for content. The way that they are consuming content is very different. You know, if you think about the old days where you'd have like, you know, the, the, the massive magazine spreads and you'd really sort of hold on to them and cherish them. And today people are just sort of like, you know, it's all in and out. It's what's the latest, what's the greatest level of content that I could just sort of like keep consuming. So I think there is certainly that challenge there. But, you know, at the same time, you know, you have to think about what's right for your brand and what is actually feasible. It's not easy to be putting out, um, you know, 10 to 20 pieces of content on Instagram a day. I mean, that's an enormous amount of work. Um, so, um, you know, I, I mean, it's it's sort of like swings and roundabouts in one way, but I do think that there has to be a baseline level of content that you're putting out. The content also has to be of a certain level of quality. That's the other challenge. So the content that is being put out, yes, there has to be a lot of it, but it's also got to be good stuff. So you have to you have to know how to balance that really. And if you're putting out such a volume of content, I think it it does worry some people, and it crosses my mind. But we do seem to be in quite sensitive times. You know, there is cancel culture around, and some of the people who've been you know hashtag cancelled have very clearly deserved it for some of the things they've done. And some of the people, uh, it seems, you know, what they said was taken in the wrong way. And it's, um, in some cases, destroyed their career. So do we not need to worry about that? If we're putting out so much content and being very vulnerable, do we not risk that we're going to say something, someone's going to interpret in the wrong way and it's going to, we're going to have our own hashtag by the end of the day? I mean, I think that's very much up to the individual person to decide. But, you know, I certainly don't abide by that. You know, I use my social media as a way of expressing myself. I don't necessarily believe in censorship. And, you know, and also it's about growing and learning. I mean, you know, unless you've caused sort of like, you know, irreplaceable harm to somebody, then I don't think you know, I think it's okay to just sort of, you know, learn from something that you might have said five or six years ago, and it turns out not to be, uh, you know, not to be what you believe today. You know, people grow, people learn. It's not, once again, it's not about aiming for perfection. It is about progress. So, um, you know, constantly making progress and constantly improving. And I think that is, you know, I think those sorts of images um, and those sorts of organizations too, um, are organizations that are very human and resonate with people today. Yeah, that's true. And um, I think one of the exciting things about creating your own personal brand is it's good for people like me and it sounds like you who have lots of interests. And I think you've you've spoken about this or perhaps written about it, where um, if somebody, if you can create a strong enough personal brand, then you can get away with doing quite a lot of different things in your work and it can still seem coherent. Is that uh, a good description or is a particular approach to that that you recommend? Look, I don't think, I think a lot lot of entrepreneurs and a lot of younger businesses in particular are so protective over their brands. 
and they're so concerned about, oh my God, no, I can't do that because that's not what my brand is about and I can't do this. And I think one understanding that we have to come to terms with is today, the brand is defined by your audience, by your consumer. You know, to a large degree, you're not even in control of that. So your role is more of a curator and putting out the content and seeing if you're lucky how the consumer will adapt to your brand and define it to make it their own. So, you know, we saw that with Uber Pool, right? I speak about this in the book. You know, we saw how, um, you know, Uber Pool was was sort of um, created as this low-cost ride-sharing app, and it actually ended up becoming a dating app. You know, people started going, this is a great way of hooking up with people by meeting somebody in the back of an Uber pool. Mm. And that's the sort of more, you know, extreme example of how audiences can define what your brand means for them. Mm. So don't hold on to that go, oh, wait a second, that's not what my brand was meant to be about. This is what it's meant to be about. You know, allow them to create that level of intimacy with your brand, with your organization, with your services, with your person, by defining for themselves what you mean to them, and um, I can't resist. John, what do you what what do you what do you mean to your audience? Oh, good heavens! Uh, <laughs> um, I think there's a number of different things, but but definitely the belief that there's more to life than just making a living. You want to make a living while actually doing something you really care about and that suits you really well, that you enjoy, that you're good at. And so it's about meaning in work and not just money. Now, also, I'm very keen on helping people make money too, but um, it's the two together, meaning and money in the same thing. And I think that's why people are drawn to me. And probably because I'm fairly down to earth and actually because I am um, pretty authentic, I think. So I like to think so. So I think some people find that appealing. We didn't there. use that word yet, did we? we didn't no, we use didn't. The authentic word yet. And, and and I know that some people have a problem with that word. They think it's um, sort of people who say they're authentic are actually not, and it seems really fake. So is Kim Kardashian really authentic? Yes, Kim Kardashian is authentic because she is brave enough to be living her own life on her own terms in her own way. And that's the definition of authenticity that I use in the Kim Kardashian principle. It's about being brave enough to focus on what you believe and what you want to create. It's not about living up to somebody else's standards of perfection. It's about living up to your own standards of imperfection, but still living your life and doing what you want to do. And does that mean, I mean, is she... Is she still being herself? I mean, is she still trying to make out her life is 100% great? Or is she, to be honest, I don't follow her, so I don't know. Is she saying that, is she actually sharing if she has a down day or a difficult time? Well, yeah, I mean, Kim Kardashian doesn't ever say that her life is 110% great all the time. And she really lets people in more so than any celebrity we've ever seen. As a matter of, as a matter of fact, she's actually... Um, you know, she's shown other celebrities um, how to really let people in behind the scenes on what's happening. So we're seeing a lot of other celebrities, whether that's Lita Gomez or Taylor Swift, actually taking, you know, a page out of her book. But, you know, I mean, 
you know, Kim Kardashian very much is showing us who she is and what she stands for and what she values in life. Now, maybe not everybody will agree with that value system and that priority list. Um, But nevertheless, she is showing us her authenticity. And I think, and I think that's what I hope my book does for every reader to empower them to show the world their own unique definition of authenticity. Yeah. And um, this brings me to my uh, final... I thought that was a nice way to end. That was. Anyway, oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> I've ruined it now. <laughs> well, you know, I'm not as slick as these Hollywood dudes. Anyway, um, what I, what I couldn't... But I, love, yeah. I'm not, I'm not a lovey. Now, what I was going to say was a uh, hot topic at the moment is Harry and Meghan. Are they yes. handling their brand correctly? You analyse the actual worth of people's brands. What's your opinion of, of their future outside of the royal family? Look, I was interviewed um, about the value of Harry and Meghan's brand quite recently and, you know, here's my perspective. You know, Harry and Meghan, the, uh, the Harry and Meghan brand is like a startup with a great idea. It's got a lot of potential, but it hasn't got a lot of proven value yet. You know, audiences are bonded with the royal family brand and not necessarily individual members of the royal family. We don't really know them well enough to have developed a strong relationship with each of them individually. So it is obviously unprecedented, the move. It is going to be interesting to see, um, you know, what you know what comes out of it. But you've also got to remember that the target audience for the royal family is a much older audience. If we're speaking to younger millennials and Generation Z, I mean, they are not, um, you know, they're not overly interested in the royal family. You know, let's just say that. So it's going to be an opportunity for Meghan and Harry to sort of develop their ideas, develop their target audience from scratch, and then actually see whether they have the real influence to sell to them and to influence them in any way, you know. And do you think there was a bit of a misstep already in how they announced their departure? You know, on on the one hand, I think it was really brave because obviously they don't want to um, continue to be full-time royal family members and they want to live a more independent life. So with that regard, I thought they were being very true to themselves and I thought that sent out a very empowering message. I thought in one respect that was very much the definition of power, to be able to go up against the establishment and to be able to say, actually, you know what? I'm I'm more powerful than this by saying that I actually want something different with my life. Um, you know, I think that on the other hand, in terms of just the way that it was communicated, I mean, I'm sure that could, um, if, if the reports are true and if the family had actually truly not known about this and heard about it via an Instagram post, the Queen reportedly um, heard about it, and by the Instagram post, and I'm sure there could have been better ways to handle that. But you know, who am I to who, who am I to know about that? So, uh, do you tend to, if people want to know more about what you do, I mean, I certainly recommend the Kim Kardashian principle. I really enjoyed it. 
Uh, so thanks so much indeed. Really appreciate you reading it. I didn't realize you had read it. So I oh yeah, 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 yeah. No, I, I bought it like a couple of years ago or something. So um, I definitely recommend that. It, anywhere else that people should be following you to to get the latest updates and latest thoughts? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you want to stay in touch, definitely connect with me on Instagram. Um, my handle is my first name underscore my last name, so Jitendra underscore Sadev. Good luck in spelling that. <laughs> yeah. um, <laughs> Um, or, um, you know, or Twitter too. Yeah, for sure. Please right. do. Great. And what's next for you? Where are you going? Uh, uh, what, what projects have you got coming up? If you can share anything. Oh gosh, there's so much stuff going on. You know, I want to focus more on, um, you know, continue to focus actually more on writing this year on speaking. I feel really privileged to continuously travel the world, which is still a massive learning experience for me. Last year, I got to go to places like Ukraine and Chernobyl and Istanbul and Portofino and, um, you know, so many, um, so many places. So, um, you know, more of the same and, you know, let's see, let's Mm. see. Lots of interesting stuff in the pipeline. Watch this space, John. Brilliant. Thanks very much, Jitenda. (laughs) You bet. Thank you for your time. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Ideas Lab podcast. Please do subscribe. And if you've enjoyed this episode, it would be great if you could leave us a review. You can get links and details of everything mentioned in the podcast in the show notes, along with photos and video clips from many of our episodes. Just go to theideaslab.org forward slash podcast. Podcast.